Welcome to the WinFL Show. Welcome to the Outer Hebrides. It's the WinFL Show. I'm your host, Ian McKinnon. I'm joined this week by Dave Somerville. How are you doing, Dave? As always, buddy. Glad to be here. And we have a very, very special guest with us. Uh, Jaguars fan, member of the Long Snapper podcast, Patrick Thistle fan. Uh, Patrick Jackson, uh, pleased to have you on, Patrick. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Greetings from sunny Hertfordshire. Hertfordshire, yeah. How, how sunny is it in Hertfordshire just now? Uh, just over 20 degrees. It was a hard cycle up the hill on the way back, but a uh, nice cool drink in the evening. It's a, a good way to spend uh, Wednesday evening. You'll notice Dave and I are both shaking our heads when you say 20 degrees. I I can't remember the last time we had 20 degrees. Honestly, it's today was... I, yeah. That was when we were both in hospital with heat stroke. Might have been. (laughs) Today was sunny spells. Yesterday was freezing. I had a hat on yesterday. I had a woolly hat. It was was Baltic outside. Um, It was just horrible. I hate it. Anyway, we're looking forward to summer. Uh, More importantly, the nice weather will hopefully take our minds off the length of the off-season, which is absolutely the longest six, seven months in, in ever. I can't even remember how long it is. Five months, isn't it? It's not, it's not seven months. It's like <laughs> it five seems months. a lot longer. It's, though, it yeah. feels like 20. It's ridiculous. Um, not an awful lot of news at the moment. A couple of uh, couple of players have been signed. A couple of players have been cut. A um, couple of contract renegotiations going on. We will get into that later. But before we do, Patrick, I'm going to ask you right off the bat. Um, last year, your Jacksonville Jaguars had the first pick in the draft. The year yes. before that they had the first pick in the draft. So two two years on the bounds, worst record in the entire NFL. But then last year, they made the playoffs and they went toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs. Give me your point of view as, I don't want to say long-suffering fan. That's the wrong, <laughs> the wrong thing to say. Uh, but, you know, from someone who's supporting a the team, they've not been great for a couple of years and then all of a sudden, Trevor Lawrence... Uh, with a new coach, as we've already mentioned many times before, a completely different mindset. He really looks the real deal. But what's your thoughts on the Jaguars last year and going into this year? What are you looking forward to? I mean, long-suffering is right. You know, from 2000 to 2020, we made the playoffs three times and won the division once. So, yeah, the the pain of finishing with the worst record... 2020 and 2021 wasn't that much worse than the average pain of the last 20 years. The successful periods have been the surprise, really. Um, Trevor Lawrence was a no-brainer, and we were full of hope at the start of that season for a magic resurgence. And it just takes that bit more time than you realise. You don't see many successes that quickly. And I knew nothing about Urban Meyer before he came, apart from, you know the headline um, national championship wins and you go in full of hope that he'll be able to carry over that sort of success to the NFL level and particularly when you have as uh, shallow a grasp on college football as I do you don't realise how different it is until you really start hearing the criticisms behind the scenes of it so that was a debacle it led us to be the worst two consecutive seasons which is quite some feat quite difficult to do by all accounts easy to win the Super Bowl twice and to stay the worst team in the entire NFL I've heard people say so yeah we managed it and took Trayvon Walker which wasn't 
quite as much of a shoey no-brainer first overall pick. A lot of people um, suggesting Hutchinson was the better choice there, and I think that boils down to how you intend to use them throughout their career, and clearly they had their eyes on someone who was more than just an out-and-out specialist pass rusher. Um, but then they used him as an out-and-out specialist pass rusher for half a season, which seemed a little bit of a waste, and it wasn't until the second half of last year when we started to get our pieces in the right places and really make a big push and we won that streak of games towards the end of the season to where we took the Titans and win the division and we carried that momentum into the playoffs and won a couple of playoff games and um, you know it was just it was a nice wave to ride until we lost to the Chiefs which wasn't really a surprise Um, it sets us up well I think for this coming season building more pieces, adding a alpha receiver like uh, Calvin Ridley, which is, you know, one of the biggest missing pieces last year was not having that really standout wide receiver to challenge secondaries and really give um, Trevor the targets both underneath and deep. So that will really help. The other big concern was around um, pass rush, and we didn't address that as much as I'd really hoped in the draft. So it'll be interesting to see whether that remains a concern, that combination of pass rush and not being able to defend against your receivers like uh, Travis Kelsey destroying you over the middle for 200 yards repeatedly over the season. So we'll judge the success of that as we come into games next season, I guess. Well, I mean, Travis Kelsey's been destroying everyone for 200 yards. So I, I, <laughs> That's I, true. I wouldn't That's put true. too much You're stock in that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, it, it's it's got to be good looking forward to going into this season. You're thinking we've got a really good playoff run. Uh, surely they can build on that. And I, I mean, Dave and I both said the Jaguars could be very sneaky good this year. Um, and Calvin Ridley, when they signed him, I'm going to be honest, you know, hand on my heart, when they signed Calvin Ridley, I was like, what are you doing? You've signed a guy who's suspended. What are you playing at? But uh, he's coming back, and we know how good he is because he was doing it for the Falcons. Um, Obviously, they've signed him mid-season, so he'll be sort of familiar with the playbook already, and uh, hopefully match fit come kickoff. Uh, so there we go. So thank you for that, Patrick. Now, Dave, a couple of bits of news. Not an awful lot. There was one bit of news, obviously, that I feel quite badly about, which was, of course, uh, the Denver Broncos have released kicker Brandon McManus. Now I'm I'm gutted about that, Dave. How do you feel? What do you What do you think of Brandon McManus? Do you, I'm pretty sure he'll get picked up by another team quickly. Oh, easily, uh, absolutely. He's still he's I think he's still one of the top kickers in the league. Um, I, I'm I'm seeing a, a good few kickers are getting paid though. You know, they're getting paid good salaries now. I think that's the whole reason that the Rams let Matt Gay go um, was because he he was going one paid uh, because he was. Rated kind of top five kickers in the league, you know, it, it was right up there. And I think Brandon McManus probably wanting a little bit hike, a little hike on the wages. And he's been there for what nine, ten years, maybe. He's been a long time. Because so Broncos, Broncos drafted him, I'm pretty sure. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, it, he's been there a long time. Maybe just a slight pay increase, and Broncos not willing to bite. So either they've seen. Uh, they've they've seen something else that they want to explore. They think they found someone that can do the job, or 
maybe it is just a cash flow issue that they uh, um, but I don't think so I, I don't think that's the case well the thing with McManus is that he had did have a down year last year I mean he missed a few kicks but I think a lot of that is the fact that he was actually attempting some really really long kicks I mean let's not forget week one 64 yard field goal that was insanity uh, and he's constantly kicking you know long 50s 60 yarders and that's going to have an effect on his accuracy but I want if, if maybe it is Sean Payton just saying this is a guy that we like uh, uh, Patrick what's what's your view on this yeah you've got a factor in the Hackett effect when you look at those stats from last season it was definitely a down year but it's not all on him I don't think some of that was just game management issues and I have a soft spot for McManus from uh, fantasy seasons past because you always want the kicker who's kicking at altitude for half his games because of the extra distance that gives you and the extra points that gives you on the longer field goals. So that's uh, where my soft spot for, for McManus comes from and I hope he finds a good home wherever he ends up. Certainly, um, he would probably be an upgrade in Jacksonville. Um, that might be harsh on Riley, but he's not had that long to bed in. So yeah, I'm sure he'll find a home somewhere. There's always a home for veteran kickers and it certainly seems more likely to be a I've got my guy than it's a, a cat move on the yeah. grand scheme of things. I swear to God, Z, if he goes to Seattle, I'll be raging. I will absolutely <laughs> lose it if he goes to Seattle. Anyway, well, let's not go there. Uh, any other news, any other signings around the league, Dave? Uh, not a whole lot of signings. There's been a, a couple of rule changes, though that we kind of need to address, especially in w- with fair catching in the league. So if you attempt a fair catch, uh, from a, is it from any kickoff, any any punt, I think as well, yeah? So uh, the ball is going to get brought back to the 25. I think, I, oh, was, it, was that including punts? I thought it was just kickoffs. Is it just kickoffs? Just kickoffs. Just yeah, kickoffs. just kickoffs, okay. yeah. So, yeah, so they brought it in line with what they do in the college, uh, the colleges mm-hmm. right now. Um, and there's been a lot of hate, I'd say, from the special teams coach, uh, coaches and coordinators in particular, um, because it takes a it takes a big element of the special teams area out of the game. Um, so I, I'm I'm not a fan of it, uh, and I, th- I think you know the um, well when Patrick was talking before we went on air, they've done things in, for example, the XFL. The USFL that you know they they use these leagues to trial run some of these uh, rules and obviously even the college you can see that I think it w- it was better last year than what they're going to bring in this year so yeah it's an interesting one but I I I think I think it, it's it's worth trying it out to see what it, what happens but uh, I'm at this point I'm not a fan at all Patrick what's your views on this one it it is a, it is a funny one. I, I don't like it, but what do you think, Patrick? I mean, it feels like you're hugely incentivized to take the safe, fair catch option and gain like 24 yards at the most, taking it out to the 25, which will take a lot of the spectacular fun out of kickoff returning unless you've got a really good spot to do it in. Um, so I was more hoping to see something like they've done in the XFL, which was you have a zone in which the kick has to travel to to be caught in and then they had the defensive player and the office and players standing like 10 yards apart just in front of that and they weren't allowed to move until the catch was made so they were trying to take out the impacts of players running at each other from 40 yards away and hitting each other at like top speed uh, which was the 
the thought to be the cause of the large of large amount of injuries that happen on kickoff returns. So that led to some really spectacular plays, and it would have been nice to see that brought into the NFL rather than this just this nullifying the kickoff altogether, which seems to be the way they've chosen to go. Yeah, I know that um, Roger Goodell said it is for one year. And it's, so it's essentially a trial run. They're going to see how it goes. It's going to be one year. If it works, they, they might look to keep it. If not, they will revise it. Um, the, you're right. It is, it's taking away a huge part of the game. Uh, now, a lot of people don't like kickoffs. They just like, listen, uh, kick returns, yes, they're exciting, but they're nothing on punt returns. And they happen once on a blue moon. Just do away with kickoffs altogether, and every team starts on their own twenty-five yard line, every single time. Now, I don't like that either. I'll tell you. I'll tell you one one thing that's going to happen from this is that four hundred years from now, when NFL is being played with robots or something like that, um, they're <laughs> going to go. Do you know? Do you know what the oldest record, the oldest record in NFL history is? Cordell Patterson's kickoff return <laughs> record. That'll never. That will never ever get broken, because folk just won't return kicks. It's it's not going to happen. Um, you won't get squib kicks. That's not going to happen either, because it's it's just it's going to go down. Everything's going to stop happening. I I I don't like it, but I don't know. I mean, Dave, what what do you what do you think of this? I don't well, like it. Uh, no, I, I I don't either. I um I, I can from what I've seen anyway. I, I I can see what that Pat what Pat's been saying is right about the kind of injury to injuries on kick. Oh yeah, get on like the injuries that. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what what they've done is they've done modelling and you know to to see what the outcome of this rule change is going to be. So they think that the, the um, rate of kick returns will drop to about thirty one percent. So just under one in three kicks will be returned. Uh, but the concussion rate should drop by 15% on kick returns as well. So that's the main kind of reason behind it. But I, I, I like what Pat was saying. I like his idea a lot better where, you know, they can't move um, from a certain spot. That, you know, it's debatable where you want to put them, but they can't move from a certain spot until the ball's been caught. Then they can kind of run or get in the way of, of whoever but um yeah I, it, it takes a huge a huge huge element out of the the special teams area anyway so not a fan i think th i think this will be a one season thing i don't think this is going to uh come into 2024 and i think they're going to sort of have their tails between their legs come next this time next year with another rule change they're going back to what they had i don't think they'll go back to what they had i think they will uh, put in something similar to what pat's saying i mean yeah you, you could be right there I, I look at the um so years ago kickoffs were kickoffs okay and then yeah. they stopped uh, the players running prior, sorry, the covering team running prior to the ball being kicked to, to as you say, Patrick, reduce momentum. Okay. So they weren't allowed to take run-ups along with the kicker, the, the person kicking off. Um, so they would stand and once it was kicked, they would then run. Um, that reduced momentum. Then they banned the, the three-man wedge on returns. So you can only have a maximum of two men 
in a wedge uh, on, on the return. They did that as well. And now they're trying this and you're just going, you know, and they've had it where they moved it from the 20 to the 25. Um, I think it was actually, it was not originally like the 30 or so. I can't remember, I'll be honest. And it moved to the to the 20. And then they said, oh, it's way too many returns. So they move it up to the 25 and it, to, to get rid, it is like they're just slowly trying to phase out kickoff returns. If you're going to do that, just stop it. If you don't want hmm. kickoffs because of injury, and I get the reason, I get it. Concussions are a terrible thing. And, you know, all the worst injuries we see are on kickoffs. They, they really are. Players, you know, game one, kickoff one, opening season, bang, that player's out for the year. It happens. And we understand that. But just, if, if you don't want them kicking off, just stop them from kicking off. Just have it. Right, you start on your own 25-yard line every single drive. I would rather see that. It makes more sense. It seems more fair that way. But it does take away that portion of the game. And I like that portion of the game. We know we love special teams here on the WinFL show. Patrick, do you love special teams on the Long Snapper podcast? Being called the Long Snapper podcast, I'm assuming you do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, surely. <laughs> on the Long Snapper podcast, I'm wearing a Long Snapper's jersey. I have to. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got Jamal Agnew, and he's just an electric player, and you wouldn't want to see players like that devalued as part of your squad. You want to see them involved and doing the spectacular things that they can do. So, Dave, uh, moving on, there's some, uh, there was an announcement about the upcoming Super Bowl venues. Uh, what update have you got for us there, young man? Yeah, well, I, I believe that they're pretty much putting it into the ground. They're, they've scraped the bottom of the ball, <laughs> gone through, and fa- basically found uh, Levi Stadium as the host of the 2026 uh, Super Bowl, which will be Super Bowl 60, I think. Um, and yeah, San Francisco finally has something to cheer about that isn't falling at nearly the final hurdle every single time. So, you know, so it's something for them to enjoy finally. So, I mean, it's been a while since they've had any kind of success. You've got to go back to the 90s, really, for any kind of point. Okay, of so Patrick, I should probably interject here. Obviously, as you know, the Rams won the Super Bowl two <laughs> years ago. Right now, according to Dave, they're the only team to ever do that. Okay, no other team has ever won a Super Bowl before, uh, including last year. Just it just didn't happen. The Rams are the greatest team of all time uh, every year, regardless of the record. So I just need to make you aware of this, Patrick. Dave will speak like this relentlessly, and he hates the 49ers. Just something oh. else. He spent about 50% of the uh, episode on our show sniping at Rich, our 49ers fan. So I'm aware of this fact. And, you know, it's nice to see the other 30 NFL teams brought down to our level, to be fair. Wow. Also, thanks, thanks, Pat, for throwing me right under the bus there. You know, I was representing the WinFL show. And to throw... You didn't even just throw me under the bus. I think you threw me under a tank at this point. Just, yeah. Do you know what? Hate me all you want. I have no regrets about it. I, I th- I'm just disappointed in the NFL for choosing that location. Where would you? Where would you have rather they had it, Dave? Um, Timbuktu would be better at this point. <laughs> <laughs> just, just you know, anywhere in the middle of the Atlantic. We, we, we can. 
the, oh, o- yeah. the only thing that gets me so um Levi Stadium is in Santa, Santa Clara. Clara. Thank you yeah, very Santa much. Santa I could Santa not Clara. remember the name of it there. It's in Santa Clara, which I believe is further south than San Francisco. Is that correct? It's not actually in San Francisco. It's no. Just, it's, the, it's the equivalent of Stevenage playing their home games in Cambridge. That's how far away right. it is. Right. So it's it's just a little bit further south. But San Francisco in January is very wet. Like it rains a lot on the on the west coast there in January. Um, I mean, you usually it's because they failed in the championship games and the tears are streaming from San Francisco. <laughs> Do you know, I, I love the way that Dave seems to think the 49ers are some sort of poverty franchise where they've got all these Lombardies. They make NFC championships every other year, regardless of who's playing on the team. And yet Dave seems to think that they're just, you know, this absolute poverty. They, look, the only new entrant into their trophy room is the cleaner to wipe the dust off because it's been that long since they've had anything to celebrate. I, I mean, it's, you know, I, I only speak facts. That's all I do. I, I am Dave Fact. Let's just call me that now. They were in the Super Bowl like four years ago. Yeah, but we, we, we don't need to talk about that. that they, <laughs> did they win? No, no they one remember second place. No one remembers second place. Well, I do because I just told you they were dead. <laughs> they lost to Kansas City. Remember, Jimmy G overthrew Emmanuel Sanders, and oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, the journey getting there uh, was quite annoying. Plus, like I said, no one remembers second place. The following year, no one remembers what happened that year either, or was it the year before? See, no one can even remember that far back. I, I mean, oh my word, you, it, it's it's you know it's irrelevant. But at the same time, I th- I. I you know, it's it's nice that they've got something to celebrate. Well, there you are. So, anyway, the Super Bowl's coming to Levi's Stadium in San Francisco. Um, but as I say, uh, it's, it, it can be very, very wet there come January time. Like, I'm talking like torrential rain. Mm-hmm. So, um, it'll be interesting to see. Um, maybe Santa Clara's got its own wee sort of uh, microclimate that I'm not aware of. That, that could be the case, uh, where it's well, dry. Well, actually, speak. Well, speaking of weather, actually, I think the NFL announced, I think it's 2025 for the NFL draft. They're having it in Green Bay. So that could be an interesting one as well. Uh, it's, it's an interesting choice, but they, they decided they're going to Green Bay for that. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I don't know why. Why don't they just... Why, I, 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 I wish they would just have it in, in New York like they always used to. Just have it in New York. I don't know why they, they keep moving around. There's no need to move around. Have it in one place. That's what they should do. Uh, I see, see, but I see Americans will say that about the international games as well. What's that? But, you know, that that why move the games around? A home game is a home game, and you know, keep it in America. That that's the kind of thing that they'll say. So they're becoming international and all around in their in the appeal of the NFL. So I think that's the idea behind it. Anyway. Now, speaking of which, Patrick, your Jaguars. Playing another, is it two games back to back in uh, mm. in the UK this year? Will you be going along to any of those games? I'll definitely try. Uh, tickets go like hotcakes, so you know you've got to um, get a bit lucky in the ticket lottery. But yes, uh, Wembley against the Falcons, followed by Tottenham Hotspur Stadium against the Bills the next weekend. 
I'm mostly hoping to get to the Bills game because we have a guy called Mark on the pod who's also a Bills fan and uh, be nice to go together. I've never been to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium either, despite the fact it's like 26 miles from my house. So, yeah, it'd be nice to visit there and, uh, yeah, take a game in. Nice one. And have you been to um, have you been to any of the Jags games in the UK already? I've seen two. My first live game was the shellacking we put on the Ravens where Mercedes Lewis caught his hat-trick. And the second game I went to was against the Texans and Deshaun Watson took us apart and made them all look like schoolboys and it was horrific. So, yeah, I've seen more non-Jags games than Jags games, I think. But um, the second Jags game is one that didn't make me want to go back for years. <laughs> Understandably so. Understandably so. Uh, now, but it's, I mean, it's great to see your team uh, play. I have seen the Broncos three times now, twice in London and once in, in uh, Denver. Um, and the last year, when we beat your Jaguars, apologies for that. Indeed. Um, that was the first time I'd seen them win because I saw them in 2010 against the 49ers at Wembley where we lost on an, an awful call holding call and no Sean Moreno it was never holding flea flicker should have should have won anyway doesn't matter I saw Tim Tebow score a touchdown in that game that was good um and then last uh, sorry in 2021 I saw them in Denver uh playing Philadelphia and we got the snot beaten out of us in that game <laughs> it was awful and I just couldn't get over how pathetic the offense was uh, that was when teddy bridgewater was was the quarterback then but the offense was just stinking up that i think i was at the height of um the offensive coordinator whose name i can't remember that we had prior to nathaniel hackett what was the guy pat Sharma. oh pat Sharma. not Give a me. name shirt not a name like i'm proud of oh <laughs> well i'll tell you i'm having like ptsd just thinking about pat Shermer's offense oh that was brutal anyway um so i saw the 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 eagles playing the broncos there in mile high it was absolutely amazing got we tour to the stadium afterwards it's brilliant do you have plans to maybe go over to jacksonville at some point to see your jaguars over there there's talk of a long snap pod group outing uh, whether we ever get the logistics sorted out is another question but you know I'm 50 in a few years, so uh, maybe that was the, that's the time to say to the missus, look, I'm going away for a few months. I'll uh, be back after I've seen as much American football as I can fit in. Quite right. I, I wow. wholeheartedly give you two thumbs up for that one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Was that, was that, was that where his plans are for nearly being 50? Because uh, there seems to be something in common here. Uh, you, you know, just... Uh, oh. What do you say? Um, you know, it's it's just that you you're bonding over old age at this point. Uh, hey, excuse me. I, first of all, uh, I, I hold the boat. Hold the boat. Hold the boat. First <laughs> of all, right. First of all, fifty is not old, right? It's not old age. So don't say that, okay? Because I'm going to be fifty soon. So. It's not old age. <laughs> that's right? what I'm saying. And so I know that's what you're saying, but stop it, right? <laughs> uh, and the other thing is, we're not bonding over old age. We're bonding about American football. This is why we're on this podcast. It's why Patrick's here. And you're talking nonsense. I apologize, Patrick, for the nonsense. That this is. I have to put up with this every week. 
every single week. It's ridiculous. It, because we work together, it's almost it's virtually every day. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. I mean, let's be fair. The nonsense is a lo- large part of the reason we tune in. So. <laughs> well, there we go. So, if it if it wasn't if it wasn't for the nonsense, if it wasn't for the listeners tuning in for the nonsense, we'd have no listeners at all. So. I suppose th- there you go. That is that. Uh, now, bringing it back uh, down to earth for a, a moment, gentlemen, uh, we do need to speak about the passing of a, a great man, a great man. Jim Brown uh, died on May 18th. Um, he was born on February 17th, 1936. Uh, he was known, obviously, by all of us as one of the greatest NFL players of all time, but he was also known as a civil rights activist. Um, and he just, I mean, there's nothing we can say about Jim Brown's career in the NFL that would do him any justice whatsoever. The man is generally regarded as being the greatest NFL player of all time, regardless of position. Uh, I mean, here's just some of the accolades. Um, three-time MVP, he was NFL Rookie of the Year, eight-time first-team All-Pro um, and nine-time Pro Bowler, uh, eight times he led the NFL in rushing yards, uh, five times he led the NFL in rushing touchdowns, he led the NFL in scoring in 1958, he was on the 1960s All-Decade team, the NFL 50th anniversary All-Time team, 75th anniversary All-Time team, 100th anniversary All-Time team, and I guarantee if they ever come round to having a 250th all-time team, Jim Brown will be on it. Um, obviously, none of us actually got to see the man play in person long before our time. But um, have you seen any footage of, of Jim Brown playing in the past? This supreme blend of power and speed that he had, he seemed, it looked like he wasn't running fast. You know, like when you see Tyreek Hill run. You can tell he's running really quickly. His legs are going like the clappers, like Roadrunner or something like that. But with Jim Brown, he didn't have, it didn't look like that. And yet he was faster than everybody on the field by a mile. He was also stronger (laughs) than everyone on the field. And the power he had when he ran was just insane. I mean, uh, Patrick, I'll put it to you first. What's your sort of, do you have any sort of um, images of Jim Brown uh, as a player or anything, have you seen any highlights that just just stick in your mind and ones that you, you remember more than any of the others? I mean, he's one of those rare athletes on a field full of like top-level alpha athletes that somehow manages to look a step above everyone else despite the ridiculously high level of uh, competition that he's playing against and it's it re, it's it's reminiscent of like the way Usain Bolt used to run to me where he's up against the fastest men on the planet and he still somehow has three extra gears and can beat them all by five yards and you just think how, how is that a physically possible thing to have happened against the elite level that you're competing and he just steps above that and does things that you don't think look physically possible yeah, I mean that that's absolutely right. You see that sometimes with with players and we we forget when it comes to professional sports. Um you know, in the NFL there's only 32 teams. There's only 32 quarterbacks. There's only 32 
starting running backs, or, or, or you know, obviously the, the numbers with fullbacks, etc. There's only a finite number, and these guys are the best of the best of the best of the best. And the same goes for defenders and all players. And yet, every now and again, a player comes along that is just so far ahead of everyone else. You think, how is that even possible that somebody could be so far ahead? I mean, you think of um, Jim Brown as a, as a perfect example, and you're right. He was just better than everyone. And the same, when I, as I say, I don't remember Jim Brown playing, despite what Dave thinks, I'm not that old. Uh, so for me, it was it was Barry Sanders. When I watched Barry Sanders playing, it was just, he was head and shoulders above everyone. He played in one of the worst teams in the league his entire career, led the league in rushing umpteen times, shattered records, and yet he played in a terrible team. I mean, they were rotten, but... and. He he still did everything he could. So for me, it was it was guys like Barry Sanders, um, Dan Marino, and John Elway, and guys just guys who are way above everybody else. These days, we look at Patrick Mahomes uh, at the quarterback position, doing things that other people just cannot do. Dave, your own Rams, Aaron Donald, um, from the defensive tackle position, you're looking at a guy that nobody can do what he does. And mm-hmm. On, on In a league of the best of the best of the best, you look at someone like Aidan Donald and say, he is clearly the best. There's no discussion about who's the best defensive tackle. It's who's the second best defensive tackle. Uh-huh. Aidan Donald is clearly the best. Who's second best? Um, with Jim Brown, for many, many years, especially prior to, prior to Walter Payton coming along, there was never a discussion of who was the best running back. It was always Jim Brown. And even when Walter Payton was there, and guys like Barry Sanders, as I've already mentioned, I know Emmett Smith holds the all-time record for yards and stuff like that, but when it comes to a discussion, who's the best running back of all time, it's always Walter, Barry, or Jim Brown. There's never anyone else in that discussion. Well, obviously, people throw names out now and again, but let's be honest, not many people take any other names seriously when talking about the best running back of all time. Dave, I'll put it to you now. Um, I mean, Jim Brown, what, what do you think about And just look at some of the accolades he's got there. It it boggles the mind how good and how dominant this guy was for so long. Well, you actually linked it in quite well there because what I had noted um, you know, during the week when, uh, or well, it was towards the end of last week that this was announced, um, that he held the... Um, career rushing record right up until Walter Payton broke it in 84. So, you know, you, you it was kind of passing the baton on from one great to another great, you know, at that time. Um, but, you know, it was, he's, I think I'm pretty sure if I, I haven't fully researched this, but a little early bonus random stat uh, on the man himself. So uh, he's actually got the oldest franchise record for rushing yards out of all 32 NFL teams to this day. And it was in the 1963 season when he rushed for 1,863 rushing yards. And that is the oldest record of any franchise in, in the league today. So um, that's, that's, that shows you just how amazing, you know, he was. And um, his av- he averaged 133 yards per game. And the only other season that that has been, Done by was OJ Simpson's uh, season in 1973. So I, th- I think it 
it goes to show that he was like a kind of generational talent, which doesn't come across, especially at the running back position, because how many teams were actually kind of pass orientated at that time? Because there was none. It, you know, it was a rushing league. It was a rushing game. And then for him to be the top and the cream of the cream, that should put into perspective just how special a talent the man was. And, you know, I, I think um, the good thing is, though, is that the people he's still coming into the league, they know about his legacy. They know how good he was now. And you know, we've got things like YouTube that we can see some of his highlights uh, of games that did have cameras because not every game was exactly televised back then. So we can see what he was capable of in some ways. And I, I think I saw one clip. I, I, he had some brutal stiff arm on him. That that was really <laughs> that, he, that. I mean, stiff arm. Like you, you, if you get stiff armed by him, you're waking up next week in the hospital. That, that's just you're getting cleaned out completely. So, you know, I, I think yeah, he had a great career, and yeah, the the legacy of Jim Brown lives on. Yeah, I I think. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he still has the highest. Um, average per game of any running back in history. I think, he's, I think it was he does. Two, so he's, he's right no, no, at, uh, no, per, per game. No? It's like a hundred and oh, per game. I think it's a hundred and three or hundred and four yards per average in his career. He averaged over hundred yards per game. That's that's insane. I don't know. Not, have you got it there, Dave? Look up. I'm what, just looking up. Just what Jim Brown now. averaged per game in his career? It's something stupid, and I think it's the highest. Uh, minimum. Oh, you know, they always have that minimum games played. Is it forty? It's always like forty games. Minimum forty games played, or whatever it is. Uh, and I'm sure Jim Brown holds the all-time record for a uh, rushing yards per game. I think it's a hundred and three. Yeah, uh, it's he's got a hundred and four point three. Hundred and four point uh, three, and it is an NFL record. Yeah, I I, I think it's still the NFL record as far. Oh, as it will record. be. No one else is averaging a yeah. hundred yards a game. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous, it really is. So, um, R.I.P. Jim Brown, there, one of the all-time yeah. great NFL players. So, moving on, gentlemen, we come to uh, the next segment, which is you and McPhail's draft day fails. You and McPhail's draft day fails. Now, um, for this year's draft, this year's, this week's draft day fails, it might be, this is a good one, uh, for this week's draft day fail, we are going back to the 2008 NFL draft. Now, in the 2008 NFL draft, um, a couple of things were interesting about this one, uh, including the fact that, Dave, your team, uh, at the time the St. Louis Rams were picking second overall. And they drafted okay. defensive end Chris Long. Okay, okay. Now, the first overall was the Miami Dolphins, who drafted offensive tackle Jake Long. Uh, no relation, just happened to have the same. In fact, I could have used it as a random stat. The first two players in the 2008 draft both had the surname Long. Um, also, in that draft, 2008, you had Matt Ryan, Darren McFadden, um, you had guys like Glenn Dorsey. Um, Jared Mayo, Ryan Clady, Jonathan Stewart, Brandon Albert, loads of pro bowlers, loads and loads of pro bowlers. But we're going to talk about somebody who was selected by the New York Jets. Sixth overall, and his name is Vernon Golston. Dave, does the name Vernon Golston mean anything to you? 
No. Patrick, I have quite a solid no. Patrick, does the name Vernon Golston mean anything to you? Very little recollection of Vernon Golston. Well, there's a good reason for that. Now, Vernon Golston, as I say, was drafted sixth overall by the... Um, uh, my goodness, the New York Jets forgot all was on there by the New York Jets. Now, he was uh, a defensive end slash outside line, what they would call an edge player today. So he was a defensive end. He also played um, outside linebacker. Now, in college at Ohio, um, in his freshman season, he played defensive end, although he was uh, a linebacker. And he uh, was moved up to the number two spot behind a Mike Kudler uh, over at Ohio University there. Now, on November the 3rd, 2007, he tied two Ohio State team records for sacks in a game um, when he sacked the quarterback by the name of Tyler Donovan four times. Um, two weeks later, he had three sacks against Michigan Wolverines to lead Ohio State to his fourth consecutive win uh, over the Wolverines. Now, during the 2007 season, he had 37 tackles, 15 and a half for loss, set a school record with 14 sacks in 13 games, breaking the record set by Mike Vrabel in 1995. He was named All-American uh, by Pro Football Weekly and was first team All-Big Ten. Now, uh, during his... Um, Time at Ohio State, he played 25 games, 87 tackles, 47 solo, 30 and a half uh, tackles for loss. He had 22 and a half sacks, which is sixth in Ohio University school history. Now, going into the draft, he declared for the 2008 NFL draft, and he was always projected as a top 10 pick. As we know, um, if it's not quarterbacks, it's uh, edge rushers are the, the sort of the premium players people look to. Um, because... Teams are always looking for a guy who can legitimately uh, change the game for them. You know, so it's quarterbacks. Ed Rushers can do that for you. We see that all the time. They go high. So as I say, the Jets were looking for one and they took him sixth overall. Now, he was expected to play outside linebacker in the 3-4 defense because, you know, they said he's so fast and strong and he, he had what they call long limbs and they thought they've got the perfect outside pass rusher. He agreed to terms on a five-year deal for $32 million with $21 million guaranteed for his rookie contract. Pretty, that's a lot for that time. That's yeah. a lot for that time. An awful lot for that time. Now, he didn't actually play much in his rookie season, mainly on special teams, uh, totaling 13 tackles, five solo. Um, in his second year, he tallied 17 tackles, 12 solo, two tackles for loss. And then during the 2009 season, he converted from outside linebacker back to defensive end again. And then on March the 2nd, 2011, after three seasons with the New York Jets, he was cut by the New York Jets. After three years, drafted number six overall. He was signed by the Chicago Bears in 2011 in July. Uh, sorry, on the 29th of July. And on the 29th of August, he was waived. He was then signed by the St. Louis Rams on the 22nd of August 2012. And then on the 31st of August, he was waived. <laughs> and his entire career statistics three years 45 games 42 tackles zero sacks that's a sixth overall pick 
His name is Vernon Golston. And every time we do this, we say, well, so they signed Vernon Golston. Who else could they have had? Well, some of the other players who went, uh, as I say, in, in after after number six, he was drafted six overall. You had Jared Mayo, linebacker, uh, pro bowler for the New England Patriots. You had uh, Ryan Clady, offensive tackle. Jonathan Stewart, running back, pro bowler. Uh, Brandon Albert, offensive tackle, pro bowler. Dominique Rogers-Cromarty, cornerback, pro bowler. Akib Talib, cornerback, pro bowler. Chris Johnson went to the Tennessee Titans in that year, pro bowler, 2,000-yard season. Um, Mike Jenkins, cornerback, pro bowler. Dwayne Brown, offensive tackle, multiple-time pro bowler. Brandon Flowers, cornerback to the Chiefs, pro bowler. Jordy Nelson, wide receiver, pro bowler. Matt Forte, running back, pro bowler. Deshaun Jackson, Calais Campbell, Ray Rice, Martellus Bennett, Jamal Charles. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of players in the 2008 draft who made multiple Pro Bowls, and yet the New York Jets managed to find someone at number six who averaged less than one tackle per game from the outside linebacker position and had zero sacks. Vernon Golston, unfortunately for him, it just didn't work out for him. And that was it. That was his career. Nothing to write home about whatsoever. In fact, he'd been better off just staying at home and I would have had a better tackled to game average uh, than he actually managed in his career in the NFL. But you know what? Made $21 million guaranteed. So he was happy even if the Jets weren't. And that is this week's Ewan McPhail's Draft Day Fail. The Jets seem to do this every few years. They're seeing they, their first round pick just is an epic boss. And now there's one very recent that I've said a couple times uh, that is just a complete bust. Uh, so I, I'm glad to see that they kept up their trend of busting first round picks. Um, and you know, Zach Wilson is a bust as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and it's, I think he's uh, he's going to be your next kind of Jets bust. Uh, I, I just I don't see a way back for Zach Wilson. And I think he's going to be cut. I think at the end of this season, and it's just going to be. I was going to say round two, but they were both round ones. It's just, yeah. I know. I mean, it's, Zach, Zach Wilson it's a, it's was second at all. It's the Jets, yeah. but they do seem to do this every year. And every 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 year the draft comes around, and the Jets are up. Everyone's like, "What are the Jets going to do?" And the fans are always up in arms, always up in arms. But yeah, that was that was Vernon Golston. Not a very good one for the Jets there. Uh, uh, Patrick, <laughs> any thoughts on that one at all? It's a, it's a wild one, isn't it? It's maybe some consolation to the Jets that two picks later, the Jacksonville Jaguars took defensive end Derek Harvey, whose name I didn't remember in the slightest from uh, <laughs> looking at the draft board, played three seasons in Jacksonville, was then waived in 2011 and ended up playing in Denver, who had him for five games and then released him. And then he never played for anyone again. So a very similar career path to the guy taken at six. And uh, when you look at Calais Campbell going 40 picks later and look at the career he's had, still playing, been phenomenal, yeah. man of the year. It's, it's wild to think that your scouting can be so off based on a few years of college. And it just goes to show, I think, how far like um, character scouting has come beyond just those um, physical characteristics that they deliver in college. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many times we see it. I mean, you look at some of these uh, uh, players in, in college and you think, that's a slam dunk right there. Look at this, breaking records. And, and then they come into the NFL like, well, that didn't work. Something happened when he turned 22. We're not sure what it was. Maybe it was the millions of dollars that you gave him. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, 21 million guaranteed in a rookie contract. That's just insanity. Um, I, I, I don't know. Obviously, the contracts have changed these days for rookies, and they're much cheaper than they used to be um, in these contracts. Even I, I don't know what the details were of um, Trevor Lawrence, prime example. I don't know what the details of his contract are. Do you, do you know them offhand uh, at all, what Trevor Lawrence's rookie contract was uh, there, Patrick? Because, I mean, you're talking about a guy the most hyped quarterback to come out of college since Andrew Luck, um, arguably the most hyped to come out since John Elway out of college, you think, uh, uh, sure, fire, cannot miss, Trevor Lawrence, and then you think, well, what, what, did, what did they pay him? Someone that you know, for a fa- or at least you think, you know for a fact is going to be there, your starting quarterback for the next 15 years, um, what do they pay him? Any ideas, Patrick? It's uh, about nine point two million a year, thirty six point two over the four year contract. Not sure quite how that's broken down and how much of it's guaranteed. It's, yeah, it's usually about two thirds guaranteed. So that that's still, you know. So he well, he's, so he, he'd be getting yeah. he'd be getting twenty million of that maybe guaranteed Easily. twenty. But that's mm-hmm. but you're talking about as I say, the most hyped player to come out of college in ten years. You're in, in a decade. Um, so it's sort of understandable that you would want to offer him good money to keep him there on his rookie contract so that he's got his, uh, you know, his four years or whatever it is. And, and then four years? No, five years. Four years. Is it four years, the rookie contract? Four years with the fifth-year option. Fifth-year yeah. option, that's yeah. right, yeah. of course. Um, so you can sort of understand that. But, like, a, a defensive end taking sixth overall... I don't know. Twenty-one million guaranteed. That's a lot of money. That's an awful lot of money for a player. Um, and it, uh, you know, it's you know, God love him. It might not be his fault. It just didn't work out. Three years, forty-five games, forty-two tackles, zero sacks. It's a shame, but uh, that's unfortunately the way the cookie crumbles in the NFL. Not for long, as Jenny Glanville said once famously to that poor. A referee. I don't know if you've uh, if you've seen that clip of Jerry Glanville giving the referee all the nonsense under the sun, saying, "I want to." Do you know what? I will get the clip and I will insert it here. Was he from college? I hate them college guys. That's all. Right. I hate them. Was he a bull, a bull official? <laughs> Is he a college official? Well, he's a first year man. He's just. Would you bring him over to me, please? Let me talk to the college guy. I hate college guys. Okay. This isn't college. You're not at a home college. I, I, I understand. This is NFL, which stands for not for long when you make them yeah. calls. Yeah. I'll be selling Go. groceries. Hey, well, I'll tell you one thing. At least you talk to us. That guy over there, he won't talk. That guy over there? He will not talk to He doesn't have a friend in the world. <laughs> and after watching you people, I don't think I do either. Uh, yeah, Jerry Glanville giving the, that poor referee all the nonsense. <laughs> it's like, I'll be selling groceries. If you keep making calls like that. That's what he says. It's fantastic. 
So, gentlemen, moving on. Uh, Dave, I understand that you have something a little bit special for us today. What have you got? Oh, yes, buddy, because we have got the first ever NFL show ultimate quiz. And this quiz is brought to you live from Stornoway by your host, Dynamite Dave. Now, <laughs> what, what is going to right, now, Okay. What is going to happen is there, there is going to be a quiz between Action Jackson himself, Pat the Jag, and the long-suffering Broncos fan himself, Nielsen McKinnon. Oh, my now, goodness. What is going to happen is you two are going to compete for the World Championship. The WinFL Show World Championship of Ultimate Quizzing. Oh, my word. Okay. Now, I, I'm not bad in capital cities. I don't know how, how you are with those, Patrick. <laughs> I just, well, well, you're going to be in bad shape then because there is no capital cities <laughs> in this quiz. I, I, sometimes watch, I sometimes watch Richard Osman's House of Games. I'm really. Do you know what? Do you know what? Right. So I, I love. Sorry, sorry, Dave. Before you, before oh, you yeah. go ahead. So yeah. I love the House of Games. Uh, uh, mm. My wife and I, my lovely wife and I, talk about long suffering. My goodness, um, <laughs> she really is. She really is. I don't know how she puts up with me. Anyway, point is, uh, we started watching House of Games like from the not from the beginning, but as far back as we could go in the iPlayer. Mm. Right now, I love loads of the rounds. One of the ones I I really really like because I'm quite good at it. Actually, quite good. I'm not just saying it's the backwards round where he reads the questions backwards and you have to answer backwards. So I'm I'm pretty good at this. But the ones that I cannot do is when they play the music backwards. Oh, and I indecipherable. I don't. I I cannot get them. And yet, my wife. My lovely wife gets them all every single time within a split second she's like oh that's teenage dirtbag oh that's that's the police that's the you know every breath you take and i'm sitting there going how are you getting these now i should probably mention to those who don't know me um i'm supposed to be something of an amateur musician you know <laughs> uh, and i cannot i absolutely cannot in case you didn't know by the guitarist behind me on the wall there i can only play one at a time just saying uh I, I cannot get these backward songs. I just, it's, I, I don't know. I don't, I, Patrick, do you watch House of Games? Have you ever seen this round? I do. Yes, I'm terrible with the backwards music. Really terrible. It's so difficult. So, so difficult. Dave, do you watch House of Games? Uh, on the on the odd occasion, I do. Um, do you know what? My daughter likes watching it. Now, my daughter's 12. Um, so she has been hooked since the first episode that she saw. She managed to get one answer right. So, I, I mean, that was like two years ago. So I don't think she's got an answer right since. But we don't need to talk about that part. But she's, she she puts it on uh, usually when I'm working. So I'm going to say that's why I don't have any kind of particular favorite round. But the answer smash is one that Love it. I'm, I, I'm, very, I'm very pleased with myself when I get something right uh, there when I'm kind of half paying attention. So... It's it's one of the better, it's one of the better quiz shows actually. I, I, oh, I do quite appreciate it. Definitely one of the better. I think it's because there's so many different rounds. It's not the same every mm -hmm. single day. Um, and, and I, I don't. The other one I love is the runer spisms. I love that round 
That might be my favourite. Now, that's one my wife can't do, but don't tell her I said that. She doesn't <laughs> listen to this podcast, so there's got no danger whatsoever of her finding out through this. But, you know, in case she meets you in the street, Dave, don't ever tell her I said that. She is rubbish at runner spisms. I love it. I'm really good at it. So it's all, all I'm saying is if there's a random case of cider that's quite happily dropped outside my door to keep this a secret, I will be... Hang on. Uh, this is starting to sound like blackmail all of a sudden. It's, it's, it's You scratch my back, I scratch yours. No, I, I that's not scratching back. That's, that's blackmail. That's that's just marketing. We'll call it marketing. <sighs> Unbelievable. You get... Yeah, you know what you want. Things took a dark but, turn there, Patrick. I'm not sure what happened yeah. there. We were... Pleasantly, no, let, pleasantly talking about quiz yeah, shows, no, no, no. and all of a sudden yeah, I'm getting blackmailed. Oh no, no! Let's go to the light and go to Dynamite Dave's NFL show Ultimate. Okay, quiz. so yeah, so, sorry. So how it's going to work is you're both going to get four questions each, and the winner is the champion. Now we've got two <laughs> historical NFL <laughs> historical questions each. We've got one about the other person's team. Oh. So, Ooh. you know, so we'll get one about the Jags. Mm. Pat will get one about the Broncos. Mm. And then there's going to be a Rams question. Of course, there's going to be a Rams question. There had to be a Rams question. Of that course. is just that, that it's, you know, by the by. But anyway, we shall start. Now, Pat, as you're our guest, would you like to go first or would you like to go second? I'll go second. Oh, he's deferring. He's deferring to the second half. Done, done, done. Nielsen McKinnon. Go for it. Question one. What decade was the NFL founded in? As we know it today? Mm, In in general, yeah. I say yes. Uh, Yeah. We'll say yes. (laughs) That That would be the 1960s. It was correct. Okay. All right. Correct. So one nil. All right. Now, Mr. Patrick Jackson, which stadium has hosted the most Super Bowls? Ooh. Let's go Hard Rock Miami. That is incorrect. I'm afraid. Ah, correct I, answer. Am I allowed? Am I allowed to? Do I? Am I allowed to answer? Uh, do I get a bonus oh, point? I I... Uh, uh, no bonus point. All right, no. okay. Uh, is it the Louisiana Superdome? No. <gasps> it is in Tampa Bay. Really? Tampa Bay, yeah. I didn't expect that one, so I was quite happy to find that one out myself. That was quite interesting. Mm, interesting. But 1-0 to Neosa so far. Now, Neosa. Yes, I'm listening. Which team has the largest stadium by Oh, I I do not know. I've I I'm I'm between, I'm actually between four teams. Mm-hmm. I am. Too, come on, let's hear the thought process out loud. Okay, so here's the thought process. Um, I was my automatic idea was the Dallas Cowboys, Jerry World. That's the first thing I thought of. Mm. But then I was thinking. Since then, I have no idea how big the the stadium in Las Vegas is. I like I I have abs- it, I don't know if it's ten thousand or a hundred thousand. I don't know. And then I thought SoFi Stadium's massive, but there's two teams there, so it wouldn't. Do you know what? 
Cowboys, Jetty World. That is incorrect. No! The correct answer is MetLife Stadium with a capacity of 86,000. Shut up. I've been to MetLife Stadium. There was like like 40 people there. (laughs) Yeah, in 2021, Jets, Dolphins. It wasn't a good game. Well, that, yes, that, that's a, that does a lot. MetLife Stadium's the biggest capacity. Wow. Yes, it is. It, that's quite impressive. But we have an opportunity for Pat to fight back. Come on, the Pat attack. Let's go. Come on. Now, as Neosa said, it was in the 60s that the NFL was founded. So in January 1967, which team won the first Super Bowl? Let's go 49ers. Oh, I think Neosa might know this. I do indeed. Uh, the very first Super Bowl, which was at the time known as NFL-AFL Championship, was won by the Green Bay Packers. It was. Do you know who they beat? Uh, they beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And I want wow. to say it was 33-14. to 14. 35-10. I close that. that that's it's a pretty good well, Yeah, it's good trivia. But, yeah, well done. I mean, it was... I, I would have been on the same kind of track as you, Pat. So, I mean, it's 1-0. It's all to play for, guys. It's all to play for. We've got two questions each remaining. Now, Neosa, mm-hmm. for your Jaguars question. Oh, no. Who is the Jags wide receiver? with the most career receptions for the franchise? <laughs> I, 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 sorry. Oh, hang on. Sorry. Like the, the, the franchise, the career franchise, not at the yes, moment. Who, right. Oh, no, what player oh. has the most receptions for the franchise? Oh, as a, as a my word. I don't know. I'm going to say a name. That's going to be wrong, but don't laugh at me, Patrick, okay? <laughs> because I've got a name in my head whom I seem to remember played for the Jaguars, but I could be completely wrong. He might not even have done. Um, was it Keenan McCardell? Oh, my favourite player growing up. Uh, is that-, that is incorrect. Oh. Pat, yes. who, would you, who would you have said? Well, it was one of Thunder or Lightning. I was going to go Jimmy Smith. Oh. That's exactly who it is. The only other candidate, really. Yet Jimmy Smith. I forgot. I actually forgot he played for... I was trying to think, yeah. hey, there was another guy, and I couldn't remember who it was. Jimmy <laughs> Smith. Yeah. Well, he had 862 receptions for the Jags. So that's pretty impressive. It's a lot. That's a lot. Now, again, the door's still open for Steemage's pioneer of the Jags. Now, Patrick Jackson, John Elway, we all know about John Elway. How many Super Bowls did he start for the Broncos? Oh, now start, not win. Mm, Let's start. I'm going to guess eight. Oh, okay. Neosa? Five. Yes, five is the Super correct Bowl answer. 21, 
21, 22, 24, 31 and 32. 32, 33. Oh, 32, 32, 33. Yeah. Yeah, we're still 1-0 now. Can we get a tie? But because... Because it is the last question, obviously it's the most important question, which is why this is the Rams question, without <laughs> without fail. Can't help yourself, can you? No, no, no. Nielsen, this one is almost a random fact as well. So you 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 might not get it right, but you will enjoy it. Okay. So, which quarterback started a game in his rookie season for the Rams in two thousand and five? Was the first quarterback to attend Harvard, and you do know his name. I promise you, you know him. Rookie season in two thousand and five. Two thousand and five. Um. Two thousand and five. So it's post Kurt Warner. Mm-hmm. Pre Sam Bradford. Mm-hmm. Um, two thousand and five. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna be honest. I'm struggling. Um, but I'll, I'll throw a name out. No, no, he didn't play for the Rams. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was, I, you know, I was thinking about Fort Niners quarterback. Sorry, I was, I was going to say Elvis Garback. You, uh, you, I, I, I was, I, mean, I was going to. I'm going to take that first question no, off you. You can't, you can't that do again. that. Um, <laughs> two, uh, 2005 Rams quarterback from 2005. I, and that was his rookie year. Mm-hmm. So that would have been. Uh, that would have been what the year. After year before Eli and Big Ben were drafted, who was the Rams quarterback? He, he didn't start the year as the number one. Oh, oh, just started a game for them. Oh, so oh, right. Uh, I, he was he was drafted by the Rams, but um, I'm I'm sorry, I've got absolutely no idea. I will just say, um, um. I, I, no, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I've got, I've got nothing. Well, no. I mean, all, all the clues were there. All the clues were there. Go, on, go on, go on, Pat. Do you know? Quarterback Harvard, Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's got to be. It has to be. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick. How would I know it's that he went to Harvard? Well, uh, uh, <laughs> it's literally Ryan mentioned every time yeah. he's on screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he talks about going to Harvard. He's just, he was drafted by the Rams. He was drafted in the seventh round by the Rams. Fitz Magic started with the Rams. I, didn't, uh, I, I did mean, not know that. I didn't know he went to Harvard. Poetic. Oh, well, there you go. But we've got a chance now. And I, I do you know what? I, I think that Pat will get this one. Who was the Rams head coach from 1999 until 2005? 99. Is that Mike Martz? Is that your final answer? Yes. 
It is correct. We have we have a one one draw. So and yeah, do you know what? That's a fair result because arguably you were both terrible. <laughs> it was very reminiscent of Jaguars versus Broncos at Wembley. Well, <laughs> that was that was terrible. We were both terrible. But do you know what? I I, I, had, I had fun making that quiz. However, I can, can I also say that during our podcast, I had to change two of the questions because not only was Mark Bulger mentioned, but then ah. you you also took away some of my some of my other potential my backup questions by talking about you know um, things with the Jaguars. So I was like, right. So wh- when was it? When was the Jags put into the league? Was going to be your question. Neosa for the for your Jags question. I was, well, Jags came in nine. I thought, oh, okay, right, change that. Uh, and then you talk about Mark Bulger. Oh, right, okay, change Mark Bulger. So <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know what? I, I love a good quiz. I I except thought when it's on me, except when I'm answering. I thought nineteen ninety nine was Dick Vermeil. <laughs> you did what the Super Bowl? Mm, no. Well, no, so I think that was uh, no. It was yeah. yeah Mike Martz was yeah because. Mike Martz was the offensive coordinator the year before of the Rams, um, and he took over from so, from Dick Vermeil. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Go cool, yeah. Nice one. There yeah. you go. Well, well done. Well done, well, well done with the quiz, there, guys. Dave. Yeah. Uh, Enjoy that, Dave. Thank you very much. Not at all. It, it was a lot better. You, you fared better than what I did in my quiz. Put it like that, where I I, I burned, crashed, burned, <laughs> never to be seen again. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. But as I said on that show. Getting no on your first long snapper quiz is just a rite of passage. <laughs> yes, that, that's, that, thank you. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't make me feel any better, but okay, thanks. All the same. But yeah, uh, no, good effort, guys. And yeah, I, I think because it was a draw, I should just be given the title by default. So I, I, I'm quite happy to accept this. Uh, do you know what? Yeah, okay, that's fine. <laughs> anything, anything to keep him happy, Pat, really. <laughs> Anything at all, keep him happy. He's oh. diva wide receivers, honestly. Oh my word, he's something else. This guy, he's like Terrell Owens or someone. One of those guys. You, you like, you like what I did. My daughter just give her a biscuit to keep her happy when she was a baby. <laughs> just yeah, just let him has have the quiz show title. Yeah, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. Keep him, keep him happy. So, moving on, gentlemen, are we come to our final segment, and it is of course random stats. Random stats. Random stats. Uh, Pat, you are our guest. Do you have a random stat for us? And if so, would you like to go first? I would love to go first because I wrote this random stat back in, well, can I tell you when it was? It was about week six last season because it's between my notes of week six and week seven. Um, Yes, let me tell you about a man called Kelvin Kirk. Does that name ring mean anything to you? Kelvin Kirk? No. Yes. No. Kelvin Maybe Kirk. No. no. Not ringing so any Kirk. bells. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, he was a wide receiver, uh, went to Dayton College, and he was drafted by the reigning Super Bowl champions, the Pittsburgh Steelers, in the 1976 draft. He was drafted with the final pick of the 17th round, 487th overall, which gives him the distinction of being the latest ever NFL draft pick. He's the most irrelevant of all the mystery relevance. 
And uh, yeah, I thought that was worthy of a, of a random stat shout out. Um, how many was, how many days did that draft last? My goodness. <laughs> and that's a very fair question. He had a, a three-year career at college. Um, 87, sorry, 86 receptions, 1,675 yards. And he had the distinction in his final season of leading the league in... Uh, Average yards per catch at 24 and a half. So decent, decent player. Um, surprising maybe to see him go quite so late in the four and a half weeks of the draft that year. <laughs> he never played a snap in the NFL, which is perhaps why you never heard of him. Um, he didn't make the Steelers team and he ended up playing in the Canadian Football League for Calgary Stampeders, Ottawa Rough Riders, and a few others. And had a really um, profitable career up there. 153 receptions over eight years to 2,942 yards and uh, a good bit of uh, kickoff and punt returns for another um, 1,678 punt return yards and 1,922 kickoff return yards. So a good uh, career in the Canadian Football League uh, over eight seasons and ended up settling in Ottawa and becoming an artist for the uh, Ottawa paper up there. So uh, that's the story of Kelvin Kirk and his... uh, Ultimate Mr. Irrelevant status. And what what number did you say he was drafted? 400 and what? 89? 476th overall. 476. Imagine, right? Just put yourselves in this guy's position just for a second, right? Imagine your family have been hyping you up pre-draft and they're like, listen, you're going to go like in the first round or something. Like, yes, you should go along to the Sheraton in New York and sit in the green room. Oh, good thinking there, granny. And then, <laughs> and then he's sitting there and he's like on day one, he's like, yes. And then it's like, you know, it goes through the rounds. By that point, the only reason he got drafted last is because he'd lost about 20 pounds in weight because he hadn't eaten for about seven <laughs> days. I mean, 476 they must have been knackered after reading all those draft picks out and i lied to you it was 487 76 was the year 487 that's even worse he went 11 spots (laughs) later than i thought he did i mean (laughs) good grief i mean i wonder what his contract looked like it was like 40 quid in a pickled egg there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Pay for the bus to the stadium, and that's about it at this point. <laughs> My wow. word. That's a great stat, Pat. I love that one. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, why don't I go next? And we can finish, up on, with you. finish off with you, Dave. We'll go for you. I'll yeah. See you the best to last, eh? Go with that. We'll see. Okay. So I'm going to talk about a gentleman by the name of Gino Capaletti. Uh, I'll be very surprised Pass. if I know. I'll be Pass. very surprised yeah, if his name rings bells. Anyone? Um, Gino Capaletti played uh, between 1960 and 1970 um, for the Boston Patriots, as they were known before they before they became the uh, New England Patriots. Um, now he played several positions, <laughs> including um, strong safety, uh, left end. Uh, and a kicker. He was a kicker for the last two years of his career. Um, but Gino Capaletti did something in his career, uh, which kind of surprised me because uh, when I came across him, I did not expect to find his name on this list. The actual random stat we're looking for was um, who has the most two-point conversions in their career. 
that was what I was looking for. Who scored the most two-point conversions? Dave, you'll be very happy to know that it's actually a gentleman very close to your heart and, in fact, very close to your left shoulder. Uh, yeah, this one? yeah, that's your left, uh, yes. Uh, look, it's, well, sometimes I've got two left feet, but, yeah, the, the man himself, Marshall Falk, by any chance. Marshall Falk uh, um, currently holds the NFL record. Um, he has scored seven two-point conversions. Okay, now there's a multitude of guys on six, Matt Forte, Mark Ingram, uh, Willie Jackson, Terence Mathis, uh, and then when you get to five, Chris Carter, Dante Culpepper, Marvin Harrison, Totti Edgerton, James, Travis Kelsey, uh, Devontae Adams has got four, Josh Allen has four, Gino Capaletti has four, and the reason he stands out in this list is because he scored those two-point conversions in the 60s. And I wasn't aware they had a two-point conversion in the 60s, uh, but they must have done because he scored four of them and he's the only person. In fact, I'm looking back, scrolling through, I can't see anybody else who scored a two-point conversion um, all the way down. We go to three, a, a gentleman by the name of Daryl LaMonica. Now, that's a name I do recognize. He was a quarterback, Daryl LaMonica, um, and he played for Buffalo and Oakland back in the day. But yeah, so uh, in the 19, between the 1960 and 1960, uh, 1970 season, uh, Gino Capoletti scored four two-point conversions, um, which meant that he was actually the all-time uh, two-point conversion leader right up until uh, the 1990s. And now Marshall Falk holds the record with seven, but Mark Ingram's close on his tail, Dave. Just two more, and he will take that record away from Marshall Falk. I'm, 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 I'm fairly certain Marshall Falk will hold on to it just for a little bit more. But I think the amount of two-point conversions that happen now I, th I think it will happen sooner rather than later. Probably Josh Allen. I, I think Josh Allen will be the one to break it. Yeah, I think a lot more quarterbacks are doing the, the, mm. the quarterback draws. And or Jalen Hurts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jalen Hurts with that. Yeah. Yeah. He'll end up with 40 ridiculous. by next year. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, so yeah. so that's that's my random stat. I love it. I think that's a great Excellent. That's a great stat. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I have a cracker for you. Oh, I feel like it's a cracker. Also, you might not agree. But... Mm. I want to talk about Doug Williams. Oh, <laughs> Doug <laughs> that is Williams. The, the exact reaction I was expected because Doug Williams, he's, he's got a few, shall we say, some, some records and achievements. Now, Doug Williams was the first quarterback that was black that uh, started a Super Bowl and also to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. So already he was, he was breaking fantastic things. He was doing fantastic things in his career. However, one Super Bowl stands out very clear. And that Super Bowl was against the Denver Broncos. You're going to talk now, about the quarter, aren't you? Uh, You're going to talk about <laughs> Super Bowl 22 on the quarter, aren't I'm you? Going to, I'm going to mention it, but there's something else where this is leading to that's going to be a fantastic stat for me and Pat. Because... Not obviously, you, you just mentioned that he did break the Super Bowl, uh, the, the passing record in the Super Bowl. He actually broke two passing records 
So he threw for 340 yards in that game. But he was the first to throw four touchdowns in a half in the Super Bowl. But he actually threw them all in the second quarter. Not even in the first quarter. It was 10-0 after the first quarter to the Broncos before the, the Washington Redskins at the time threw for 30, uh, had 35 unanswered points in that Super Bowl. Yeah, so sorry to bring that up. So, well, sorry, not sorry. But anyway, so it is, is what happened in that game was that he had, um, it was 18 or 29, four touchdowns, one interception, 340 yards, uh, and Washington won the game by 42 points to 10, basically. Okay. Now, those four touchdowns are what I want you to focus on because he matches Doug Williams matches the amount of of touchdowns thrown in a Super Bowl that the Broncos have ever thrown in Super Bowls. The Denver Broncos have thrown four touchdowns in their eight Super Bowls and Doug Williams matches them in that one quarter. And that is my delightful random stat just for you, Mr. McKinnon. I hate you so much, Dave. So <laughs> I um I watched that game. Mm. I watched Super Bowl twenty two, nineteen eighty seven. Not live. I wasn't allowed to stay up that late. Uh we recorded it. I I, I mean now you can't stay up that late. <laughs> well I've I've come out, I've come just you are you're something else, Dave, you know that. So anyway. Um so after quarter number one, in fact, several records happened in that game. The Broncos scored the fastest touchdown in Super Bowl history. Um, John Elway, literally on the first snap, he got the ball. I think that the Redskins went three. They keep saying that. That's what they were called at the time. Redacted. Uh, went three and out. And then Elway gets the ball and on its first throw hits Rick and Atiel for a touchdown, 56 yards, 7 nothing Broncos with like a minute and 50 gone in the game. So that was the first record that went. Uh, then... Second quarter happened. Now, prior... Okay, so hang on a second. <laughs> prior to the second quarter in that Super Bowl, right, Doug Williams gets injured. Now, the Broncos are up 10-0 at this point, And it's just at the end of the first quarter. And Doug Williams gets injured. But what happens on that play is he actually fumbles the ball. And the refs don't call it. Broncos pick it up, take it for, you know... And the refs are like, oh, no, he's he's down. He's, like, sacked. But he was never touched. He literally just slips in the mud. And, woof, ball comes out. Broncos, should have been 17-0. Just saying. Anyway, by the by. <laughs> then the second quarter comes around. Doug Williams hits Ricky Standers with, like, an 80-yard pass in the first play of the second quarter. Broncos go three and out. And then Doug Williams throws a touchdown pass to, I think it was Gary Clark. I'm not 100% sure. And then the Broncos throw an interception. Timmy Smith. Timmy Smith. Anyone ever heard of Timmy Smith? No, of course not. Because he only played in one game. It was against the Broncos. And he rushes for 204 yards in the Super Bowl. In like the only game he played in his entire life. 200 sets of records. A rookie. It was his a rookie. First game it was like his rookie. first game. <laughs> and he goes for 204 yards and two touchdowns. So he jumps away for a touchdown. Broncos then go three and out. And then Doug Williams throws another touchdown to, uh, I think it was Art Monk. And then Broncos throw a, a fumble. And then he throws another touchdown. And I'm just going, what? 
35... It was 10 nothing at the end of the first quarter. It was 35-10 at halftime. I was just like, oh my God. Now, here's the other thing. That was Super Bowl twenty two, And uh, as you've already mentioned, uh, Doug Williams broke records. The year before that, Super Bowl twenty one, Phil Simms played the greatest game of his entire career. He went 22 of 25. 88% completion in that game to torch the Broncos. And they're like, because Phil Simms has never done this. What's going on here? And then, two years later, Super Bowl twenty four. who do we come up against? The 1989 49ers. Montana throws five touchdown passes, and I'm just going, what's happening? Why does this keep happening to the Broncos? That was John Elway's first three Super Bowls. 21, 22, and 24. It, it was pain. It was hard being a Broncos fan. Now, that was difficult, because the three teams that we played saved their best game until the Super Bowl. They didn't never play that well through the season and just on Super Bowl Sunday exploded. And I was like, oh my word, this is ri- ridiculous. Um, and then Elway, as you've already said, Super Bowl 32 and 33, the ones they mm-hmm. won against the Packers uh, uh, and the Falcons there. But uh, Doug Williams, that was a fumble. It should have been 17 nothing Broncos. That second quarter should never have happened. And I'm just saying... Yes. You save that for your therapist. I just, I couldn't believe it. And, and see, Dan Reeves had this offense that he used to run, and it was literally, no matter the situation, run, run, pass. Run, run, pass. That was it. That's all he did. And the Broncos were always behind. And then, like, in the fourth quarter, he's like to John Elway, oh, you may as well just do what you want. Oh, and then he would win the game because he had, like, 500 fourth quarter comebacks because Dan Reeves crippled the Broncos oh, all those years. Sorry, sorry, guys. I'm a bit head up there. I do apologize. Sorry, no, Patrick. Sorry, right. I'm sorry. I, I think he's used to it. He's probably used to it by now. But I, I was just, I was just going to finish off a random stat and say that the four, the four touchdowns, uh, Elway has three of them in 86, 87, 98, and Peyton Manning had one in 2013. So the Broncos have only thrown for four touchdowns in eight Super Bowls, and Doug Williams matched them in one quarter against them <laughs> in Super Bowl twenty-two. So big up Doug Williams. Yeah, it, well, I mean, it very wild. And but you know, in fair, if you want to look on the bright side of that game, the Broncos did pick him off once as well, and they were ten 0 up. Yeah, that's all I've got. That's and we recovered a fumble for a touchdown that didn't count. Don't forget that. Okay. I'm just seeing. Anyway, um, yes. <clears throat> so, gentlemen, on that bombshell, that brings us to the end of our podcast. Uh, so, Dave, thank you very much. Oh, thank you as always. Patrick, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Really appreciate yeah. it. It's certainly it's been an absolute pleasure to be on. Thank you very much for having me. Not at all. I, hopefully, we'll have you on again. Do you know what? We will have you on again. When we do our deep dives into each division... Uh, prior to the the season kicking off and we come to the AFC South, we will get you on. Would you be up for that? Talk about your Jaguars? I'd love that, yes. 
fantastic so we'll do that uh thanks everyone uh, for listening tuning in and of course watching youtube as well you can catch us on twitter uh, at the winfl show you can also catch myself dave jake and patrick on twitter as well um so you know feel free to hit us up if you want to nominate a random stat you can do that as well again just hit us up on twitter we'll be happy to read it out and give you a shout out uh thanks to everyone once again and we will see you on next week's edition of the winfl show